Good morning. Welcome, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you all as we continue our series on Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. We're doing a family service today, so thank you for the kids that are with us. Uh, it's really important, kids, you know, this is your church. Uh, this is not just for the adults. So I believe kids, we have a good message for you as you're looking forward to the end of the school year. Uh, God has good news for you. There's going to be power to get there these last couple of weeks. We're talking about God's power this morning. So for our youngest disciples to our oldest, uh, I have a great message for you out of Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. As Ali just said, several hundred people are on their way back from camp. Uh, but this is really good because this message is a great one. Uh, just reading these scriptures that God has this infinite power for us if we tap into it. So scripture this morning comes from Ephesians 3. I'll be teaching out of the whole book or the whole chapter rather. But here's verses 14 through 21 of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, you may, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me now? Lord God, thank you so much for these words, these encouragements, these truths that have lived through the centuries and come to us this morning. Lord God, we pray that we would receive this message of power and encouragement that we can be full of your riches, your strength, your wisdom, your love. Lord God, we want to move to a place of not just knowing with our head, but experiencing with our heart that this great transformation, that you have this radical love for us. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. Ephesians 3, the title today is You Will Have Power. Your outline is wrong. Last week we talked, you will be found. We talked about identity coming out of Ephesians 2. Today we'll talk about power, and then we'll talk about family. We have a three-part message. This morning's message is called, You Will Have Power. And I don't know if you've ever uh, lived for an extended period of time without power, but you know that it's, you know, one of these things is easy to take for granted. When the power is on, take it for granted. No big deal. Power is off. It's like, how long can we go before things get kind of rough? I lived in Spokane in the 90s. We had Ice Storm 96, and it rained, and then it froze, and then the wind blew, and instantly the whole city's power grids got knocked out. It was unbelievable. I lived with seven guys in a house off campus of college housing. And so seven guys in the house, you know, the, the storm, the first night, we're out walking, this is pretty cool. This is pretty fun. We'll live without power for a while. Now, seven guys in a house with no power means the refrigerator's all that. We've been 12 hours, we're like, let's just barbecue everything because it's all going bad. We ran our, uh, our septic system off a pump, so there was no running water for the toilets or showers. Again, for a while, not a big deal. The longer this thing went, more of a big deal. I'll spare you the details. Seven gentlemen in a house. All right, and I'm, I'm kind of stretching when I call us gentlemen. So, I mean, it's this, this thing that happens because what happened in Spokane is it went hours and days, and some of them went weeks. People went weeks without power because the 
entire grid had been knocked down. You can make it for a while without power, literally. And then after a while, you're like, I mean, literally, I need help. People actually perished in the storm. Like, for us, we got to a place like, okay, this is not fun anymore. All right, now this is uncomfortable to the point where just guys go in the bathroom and we're like, this doesn't feel safe anymore, right? Like, like that's it. As we turn to Paul and Ephesians 3, here's the thing. Same deal. We can make it on our own power for a while. This will be kind of fun for a while. I haven't connected to God in some time. I'm running on my own strength. I'm good. I've got it. It's fine. Like, how long can we take this thing? And then as the days you know, stretch into hours and weeks and months and you're disconnected from the power of God, you have to lie. You just you're literally in danger of being completely cut off from God's love. The message this morning is meant to be a message of hope. That His power is available to us, not out of a place of strength, but out of weakness. And God's love is so marvelously big and, and infinitely larger than we can even comprehend. The words of the scripture want us to, as his people, to meet with God again in a fresh way. That we would experience his love. Paul talks throughout Ephesians 3 about this mystery being revealed. This is the, the mystery being revealed that Jesus came from God to us on earth to unite us as different tribes, different tongues, different ethnicities. Jew and Gentile are part of a new power source. It's a mystery and it's been revealed, says Paul. And now he says, I want to give you this prayer of power. He says this word power three times in Ephesians 3. It's a, it's a prayer for more power. I, I've got to get the power. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I've got to get the power. Just turn and say, I've got to get the power. I've got to get it. I've got to get the power. Okay, here's the thing. Paul's saying you've got to get the power. To, it's available from God's love for you as God's people. You've got to get the power back. Some of you are like, good news. I'm connected to the power source. It's all good. Lord, bless and keep you. You are dismissed. Not really. Like, but like, may you be encouraged to stay in that place of connection to the power source. And many of us in the room are in a place of fatigue or worry, or anxiety, or just feeling out of power. Paul's words to us this morning is this power of God is available to us, his people. And what's he talking about with power? This is a, a message, we'll have power. The, the word power in the Greek here is this word dynamis, which we take the word dynamite. So when Paul says you're going to have power, he's like, you're going to have this explosion of God's joy and hope and riches and love in your heart when you pray for God to show up. That's an audacious claim, but it's a hopeful claim this morning. That if we continue to pursue God, not out of a place of fullness, but out of a place of need and desire that God longs to show up to give us this dynamis, this power. So your outline is non-existent in front of you. So I'm going to just give you these three words I want to kind of key in on. That Paul wants to give us this prayer for power to receive the life of Christ. First, receive. And then second, grasp the love of Christ. There's a contrast between just receiving and actually grasping the love of Christ. All to experience God together. So receive, grasp together. I'm going to make you do a little work this morning. 
Let's start at the first point of our outline, the power to receive the life of Christ, the indwelling power of Christ, his spirit that longs to, to fill us and to live in, in us. And, and I want to key in in these verses, starting in verse 12 through 17a. Paul writes this. Paul writes, in him, in Christ, and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Now, let's pause right there. Paul says, now, because of who Christ says that we are, we can approach God with freedom and with confidence. He says, I I don't want you to be discouraged. If you're in a place of discouragement this morning, it's not a word of condemnation, but it's just a reminder. God does not call us into places of prolonged discouragement. That's not the spirit of God speaking into you and you're like, I'm continually discouraged. That's not how God longs to speak to you. God longs to draw you to his heart with two things. What are they in the text? Freedom and confidence. Now, I don't know if that's how you would describe your pursuit of God, but what a claim, what an honor, what a legacy for us to be invited into that we would approach God with freedom and with confidence. This is hard for some of us. Because we have this view of God being utterly distant, you know, the kind of the clock tower metaphor where he, uh, you know, he made a clock, he made the universe, and he's just kind of missing. Or he's a distant or angry judge. The angry judge is not approving of our behavior. Or from some of us, we, we have this image of, an, of a father who's not pleased with us. And that's because... You know, maybe it's, a, it's something with our earthly father or there's some sort of block in our spirit. We don't always have to talk about God in the male pronoun, but Paul does here. He says we can approach, the, we can approach God, and then later he says approach the father. I want to submit to you, church, that you, if you're having trouble connecting with God, you, you may need to redeem this view of God as a loving father who's for you, who loves you. Not if you do some stuff but just for who you are. This, this is your identity. You're a child of a loving father, Father God. The, the heart of the father is good, and he longs for you to know that. Recently, I was reading this story about this wealthy Manhattan man who, who, who passed away and left an inheritance of $37 million. He left $20 million to his two daughters. His two daughters, one's 17, one's 21. 20 million, Gabby, 20 divided by two, 10 and 10, right? Are you tracking with me? Each kid gets 10 million bucks. It's amazing. 17 and 21 years old. But there's a catch. Because the father didn't just leave them $10 million each. He left strict rules of how they would access the funds. They got there to the meeting with the lawyer and they, the will was read before them. They, um, they, they can have their $10 million doled out in payments. They can have 750000 for college, but they have to write an essay that's approved by a committee the father appointed. They, they could have another 500000 if they marry, but only if their spouse would sign a prenuptial. If, if they don't work, they get one percentage of money. If they have a job, they get another percentage of money. And if they care for their mother as she's aging, they get 3% a year. It's literally a contract was given them. $10 million, but you'll spend the rest of your life trying to earn it. The wife received nothing. They were in the midst of a contentious relationship, a possible divorce, received nothing. Some of us, I mean, that's actually like, you think about what those girls will spend the rest of their life trying to live into. A father approving in stages. 
to marry or not marry, to work or not to work, money, attack, I mean, incredibly damaging, actually. That's not the father that we serve. He loves us, and as Paul's gonna say here later in the passage, his riches are fully available for us. He's not, he's not, we're not in a contract with him. We're in a covenant. And the power of our love from God is, is joy and fruit and freedom. Let's continue on in verse 14 through 17. Paul says, for this reason, this, this joy and this confidence of, of approaching it, for this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father. This is just some subtext. This thing really is a prayer. Like we need to be people who are kneeling before the Father. We need to be praying more. When we find ourselves needing more of God's power, more of his joy, I need God, may this drive us to more prayer. Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his riches, he may strengthen you with power. There's the power word. Through his spirit in your inner being. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is really good. Because here's the promise, that we will have power, but get me, church, it's not our power. It's God's power, and the power will live in our hearts through faith. So really, our job is just to be an empty vessel. Our job is just literally to try to pursue God in such a way, redeem our view of God, and say, God, I want, I want what you're willing to, to give me. Lord, can I have those riches of faith? Can I have that hope? Can I have that love? Can I have that joy in order that God would be glorified through us? It's beautiful. This is what Paul says. This is your identity. This is who you are. And I would submit to you, church, that perhaps one of the, one of the biggest challenges we face as a Christian people right now is we've lost our way as being identified as people of Christ. You are not your marital status. You are not your gender. You are not your, you know, fill in the blank, your job, your title, your, no, none of that. No, first, you are a child of a good father who loves you. And we have to work to recover that identity. I am who God says I am. Remember who you are. The glorious riches of real power is just remembering it's his power, not mine. And I am God's. We so often, if you're anything like me, we're like, okay, I want this power. I want power. We admit it. We hunger for power. Power in the workplace, power in our relationships, power, power, power. Paul's saying the power that you'll find is when you submit to God's strength, not your own. But we can so often try to be strong, right? Anyone else or is it just me? Okay? None of you struggle with that. Okay, thank you, Marino, for your honesty because I struggle with that. I really want to be strong. I want to be strong for my spouse. I want to be strong for my children. I want to be strong for the people I lead. But I don't know if you're like me. There's days where I'm like, I don't have the strength. I don't have energy. I don't have infinite wisdom. I don't have the riches right now. I mean, I, I can often like look at life out of this deficiency instead of the fullness because I'm, I'm looking at it wrong. I'm thinking of my strength. Now, I played football at Whitworth College, and that sounds probably more important than it was because they actually have a good football team now. We were horrible 20 years ago, just abysmal, really terrible football team, but I played on the team. Now, and here's what we would do. We would go home, everyone goes to their own home for the summer, and then we would come back. And when we would start summer practices in August, it wasn't two-a-days, but it was three-a-days. It's Spokane Heat. 
100 degrees, three a day starts tomorrow. Now what they would do, is they'd bring all the athletes together, say practice starts tomorrow, wanna see how strong you are. Wanna see how hard you've been working this summer. Don't, don't worry, we're not gonna put you through a whole workout because again, three a day start tomorrow. We just want you to do three max reps. One of you do one time on the, on the bench press, one time on a squat, one time on a power clean. We want to just see how much weight you can lift. Now what the smart thing would have been done to do is to train all summer, not a big deal. For me, I fished in Canada. I worked out in a barn. I was like Rocky Seven. I would carry animals around and run up hills and stuff. So I got to practice. And the humble thing would have been to go to my position coach and say, hey, coach, you know, I haven't been lifting a lot. With, like, what can we do here? No, no, no. The proud thing. Yeah, max rep, no problem. Load it up, guys. Three barrette, you know, I just all pride. All my own strength. No humility. No even wisdom at this point. So the, you know, the squat and, and like, yeah, just, you know, put it up there. You know, 500 pounds. But, you know, this isn't a humble brag. This was actually idiocy because... After a big bench press, not that big, let's be honest, a, a medium bench press, a bigger squat, a medium power clean, they're like, you know, you get it. You're like, you, you've hit this certain strength quotient. I'm like, great, I'll be in my dorm room. And then I can't walk for like two weeks because our bodies aren't meant to function like that. Your body's not meant to max rep after inactivity with heavy weights. So we started the next day of, of three a days, and I mean, honestly, I was in more pain than I've ever been in my entire life. Between each training session, I would sit in an ice bath in the trainer's room. I'm like, I am a fool. This is what we do so often. If you're like me, we just try to go about life on our own strength and our own strength and our own strength. And God says, my riches are available, not of what you do, but out of who you are. So will you receive this identity in Christ and believe that my word of who I say you are is good? And yes, you got a job to do. You have relationships to sort out. You're, you're doing families. You're doing life. But in one way, you're trying to do it out of your own strength and the other is saying, God, today, may I have some of your strength to live in me. This identity in Christ thing is a massive challenge today. This week, all the lead pastors went to Central Washington to a house that a generous family from the church provided. And we studied for the week about the year ahead and set our teaching calendar. And we prayed for one another. And we were honest with one another. It was a beautiful time. And Richard led us in this devotional about, like, fruitfulness that we all want comes from a place of confidence that comes ultimately from a place of identity. And so Richard asked us, you know, how, you know, how are you doing in this identity in Christ thing? These are leaders in the church, and every one of us, too, a person went around and said, I'm really struggling with remembering my identities in Christ. Not my physical health, not my financial well-being, not my emotional status, not even my, my spiritual pursuits. My identity is his, who Jesus says I am. Receive it, church. Secondly, Paul says, I want you to have a grasp of this love of Christ. I want you not just to know things. I want you to really understand God's radical love for you. The radical love. Look at verse 17b through 19. 
Paul says, I pray, there is prayer, again, is so powerful for us to connect to the power source. This is really a message about prayer. I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. May you have power together with all the Lord's holy people, that's us, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a promise. What an audacious claim that love surpasses knowledge and that Paul's saying when we submit to this power that we'll be filled, how high, like a quarter, a half, no, no, we'll be filled to the top, to the measure of fullness of God, that that's the pursuit of Christ, Christ living in me to his fullness. Paul says, first, I pray that you're rooted and established in this kind of love. That word rooted is actually a Greek word, rizoo, which means to be built upon a solid rock of Christ. It's a construction term. May we be built like that, well put together, so that when the storms come across this foundation of faith, that I will know I am who God says I am. I'm not determined by what the world says about me. I am rooted in Christ. And then verse 18 and 19, so that we'll be full of God together. Paul says, make this movement, make this charge of, of going from just simply knowing to really grasping. He, he does this thing in, in Ephesians 3 that's really helpful for us. I'm going to kind of geek out on you a little bit, but I think this is really helpful for us. In verse 4 of Ephesians 3, Paul says, you, you understand my insight into the mystery. He uses a word, no A-O, which means something you look on and understand. You make an intellectual observation. Verse 4, you intellectually understand a mystery about God. You've seen it. You get it. You kind of get it. But Paul's saying, you don't really get it. Because in verse 19, he says, I want you to know. And he uses a different word in verse 19. He says, I want you to know about the love that surpasses knowledge. He uses a Greek word, gnosko, which means to ascertain by experience. Not just to make an intellectual ascent, but actually experience here. And this is where it's good for us, church. Because when we're living in our headspace about the life of faith, we're missing it. We're missing it. Paul's like, the love that surpasses knowledge, you've got to experience it. You've got to gnosko it. You've got to, you've got to somehow put yourself in a place of, of prayer and obedience and following God so that his love would live in us. And it is an artificial delineation between the stuff we know and the stuff we do. We are equal parts orthodoxy and orthopraxy that we both believe and we behave But what Paul says here is love surpasses knowledge because knowledge won't transform you. You can believe stuff, but until you experience it, Paul says, you're missing out on some of the best parts of your faith. I want you to know God like that. Do you know God like that? Do you know that? He's for you. He loves you. Gnosko, can I know that? God, will you state that promise into my life that this love surpasses knowledge? And this is where the kids in the room are helpful because they sometimes can get it easier than us. Like, yeah, I get it. You love me, Dad. Like, I get it. Like, that's the kind of experience that God is calling us to. Gnosko, that we would know God loves us. This word gnosko was used in Mark 5 with the woman. Do you remember the story of the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years? There's a crowded marketplace, and she just, she knows that if she touches Jesus, she'll be healed. And she presses through the crowds, and Jesus is walking with his disciples. Immediately, she touched the cloak. Remember what the scripture says? She was healed, and the scripture says in Mark 5 that she gnosko. She knew 
that our life was different. Because when you need God to show up, there's no mistaking where he does. And church, I will submit to you this humble thought that sometimes we miss grasping the love of God because we're not desperate enough for it. We don't need him. We don't need it enough. We're max wrapping. We've got life by the tail. And you know, what, what the scriptures are saying is that hungry people get fed. The desperate people experience this love of God. If the encounters with Christ, we're doing a whole sermon series on encounters with Jesus this summer. Time and time and time, the more desperate people are, the more hungry, the more needy, the more broken. Jesus says, now we're talking. I don't want a bunch of fully formed disciples. You want to be fed? I will feed you. You want to be changed? I will change you. You want me to, to come into your life? I, I long to fill you with that kind of love. Do not miss this radical love of God. We will miss it if we are trying to do life on our own. No, empty vessels get filled. It's a matter of physics. The bigger the empty vessel, the larger the force of the liquid being poured into it. It's a simple proposition. So if you approach God from a place of fullness and worth and and like, hey, God, you know, I've got this little sliver for you to kind of speak into. But the rest of my life, I've got pretty well figured out. Guess what God will do? He'll say, "Okay, well, then I'll fill you the little sliver you're asking for. But if you're hungry to encounter the radical love of God, the promises is that, that the empty vessels get filled with God's radical love. May you know, may you gnosko, may you grasp this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know this kind of love and live into a posture of receiving it every day. Lord God, your strength, not mine. Your, your will, not mine. Your, your, your energy, not mine. Your finances, not mine. God, will you make me an empty vessel? God is speaking to us through this passage that he longs to make us not strong. That's a byproduct. We want the strength. We get there too soon if you're like me. We're max repping our way through life. God says, I want to make you receptive. Because if you're receptive to my love, if you're hungry, if you need me, if you, then I can show up. And I will give you, I will fill you with this love that the world will look and say, how did God move here? This is the promise of this text that we are grasping on to this love of God. There's this story, this woman, and this is a true story. Passed on by one of the other pastors living in, in, in the central part of the country. She was an older woman. She lived in total poverty in her entire life. And one day, representatives from, from a financial institution came to her. She had received $10 million. This text is about God's glorious riches. She had received through a distant relative $10 million. Now, I get emails like that every day that it's like a Ugandan person has given me $10 million. All they need is my bank account, and I'm still, I haven't had good luck with that yet. This is different, though. It's a real story. This woman had lived with nothing her entire life, and then the bank came like, the money's yours. All you have to do is make a draw on the money. And they told her, and she, 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 she communicated that she understood. She lived for eight more years. She never made a single draw on the money. She died in poverty. And if the story is simply that she knew a simple life, it was not. She could have given that money to any charity. 
It's like she knew that she had this newfound wealth, and whether she was waiting to spend it or she didn't actually know it, grasp it, like really know that she had money to make, draw it, we don't know. What's the point? Paul says, you have these glorious riches available to you of the love of God. Will you know it? Will you make a, make a draw on that account? I, I long, says Christ, to, to make you more receptive of my radical love and power. You don't have to be strong anymore. Now, when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're broke, when we're hungry, that says exactly now I can feel you grasp it. So receive and grasp. And then Paul says here in the final two verses, you'll understand power together. Remember, Ephesians is really a text teaching us how to be a church. He's writing it to a group of people that never thought they would be in community together. Jew and Gentile never thought they'd be in relationship. But because of the gospel, because of who Jesus is and who, their new identity as followers of Christ above any other social construct, Paul's saying, now you've got to figure out how to do life together. Look at verse 20 and 21 of this text. It's unbelievable what Paul says. It's like an inspirational message. He says, now to him, God, who is able, God is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that it's work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. The power, he says, is to be received together. It's not a works righteousness. Like when we get to like, oh yeah, I want more power. I want more money. I want more success. No, no. God is able to give us the power for his glory. And that can be a filter for us. If, if this is teaching us how to pray more for God's power, when we're just praying for our own needs to be filled, we have to, we have to be careful because God longs to fill us up, but in order to display his glory in us. And so that means that we have to watch the desires of our heart when we pray. Is this about our glory or God's? But Paul says, God is able. He is able to do this. And this is the work. And this is the grand story of Scripture. This is from the beginning to end. God doesn't take full, fully formed disciples and say, perfect, you achieve righteousness on your own. Now come to work for me. Never. No, God takes empty, powerless people and says, if you'll work for me, I will change your life. He takes a childless couple in their 90s to birth a nation. He calls an orphan to lead the exodus. He imagines the runt of the family to kill a giant and become a king. He uses a small army led by a non-military leader, Gideon, to liberate a nation. He calls a young virgin to give birth to his only son. He calls fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots to be his followers. He entrusts them with his message and they change the world. He forgives the man who betrayed him, denied him three times, even cursed with doing it, and, and says, I'll build my church on him. He enlists Saul, who becomes Paul, who is trying to wipe out the message of Christ to be the chief messenger. It doesn't make sense with our sensibilities. What's the point? God takes powerless people to use for his glory. It's always been the thing. His glory in us. So when we feel lonely. Christ, give us your love. When we feel hopeless, Christ, will you give me your hope in the situation? When we feel tired, Lord, will you give me some rest? When we feel empty, Lord, will you give me some fullness? When we feel powerless in a relationship or a situation, Lord, will you give me some power? When we feel broke, Lord, will you give me some riches? 
This is the story for his glory to receive our identity and grasp his love and that we might learn how to do that together. His power in us. What a beautiful image bringing him glory. What a promise. Paul's like, this is the crazy reality. And I'll talk more about this next week. But Paul says, this is your new identity. You're in the family now. Stop trying and striving and judging people around you. No, you're, you're not aligned by the fence line. You're aligned by the center point of Christ. You're in a new family of faith called the church. It's called the church. We're not perfect. Far from it. But we're aligned by this, this pursuit of the love that surpasses knowledge that we're trying to grasp that together. And the mystery to me that Paul says that God's glory would happen in the church. He's acknowledging here that we won't see the full glory of God on our own. That's really counterintuitive. Because it's like, no, no, I'll just go on the mountain and I'll have a moment with Jesus at some point. And Paul's like, no, that's actually not how it's going to be. You'll actually need one another to get the full display of my power at work in empty vessels. This is the new family of faith. You're part of it. One of the things that's been so cool to watch uh, at, at, uh, in the church is the pursuit of a lot of families to, into adoption and fostering. Like we're seeing that a lot and it's, it's so inspiring. And so this kind of, I've been inspired by seeing people say, you know, I want to adopt a child, I want to foster a child, or I want to support people that are fostering. People in this church remodel the bathroom of a a new foster family, people bringing meals. I mean, it's incredible. This this church is doing that work and just kind of showing, like, we're a new family of faith. We've been adopted into something more beautiful we could ever earn on our own. It reminds me of the story of adoption. It's kind of a silly story, but I don't know. Did anyone catch the royal wedding a couple weeks ago? Hey, Brian, and then the rest of you are lying, all right? You know who we are, all right? I don't know if you caught the feel-good story from the royal wedding about Guy the Beagle. Anyone hear the story about Guy the Beagle? Guy the Beagle was rescued. Guy the Beagle was at a no-kill facility in Kentucky. It's where they animals that might have been put to death and, and someone adopted Guy the Beagle. Now, I own a beagle and it's never okay to put an animal to death, but I own a beagle and so I get it a little bit. Like, there's a lot of beagles out there looking for homes, bless their little hearts. Like, they're really crazy little creatures, but this Guy the Beagle in Kentucky was in a shelter. And then Princess Megan, she was an actress in L.A. and she adopted, so Guy the Beagle gets adopted. He moves to the Hollywood Hills. He's looking pretty good. He goes from the shelter in Kentucky. He's living the high life in Hollywood. Well, we know how the story ends. This becomes Princess Magnet. And during the royal wedding, someone shoots a picture. What is that in the limousine heading to Kensington? Guy the Beagle just rolling shotgun. <laughs> Going to his new home, Kensington Palace. This is a true story. Do you love this? Like, what a story. The dog from Kentucky that might have been put to death through Hollywood to Kensington Palace. What's the point, Scott? Is that God says, this is who we are. The the, the love of God came for us, not because we earned the palace on our own, that we were adopted by the love of Jesus into a new family of faith that we would know and know this love of God that surpasses knowledge, that we would have a grasp and experience that we would know that God is for us. But church, remember, 
You gotta be hungry for it. You gotta be ready for God to do something in your life. God longs to fill empty vessels. We've been invited into this new family faith together. We, we just came from camp out. I, I came back late last night because I wanted to be with you this morning. And at the end of the worship service last night up at Cedar Springs Camp in Lake Stevens, we had about 200 people and lots of kids running around and such. And at the end of the worship service, we took communion. We do this every year. It's pretty, pretty profound, actually, to take communion as a church family. Often the little ones are outside the room when we take communion on the first Sunday of our month. But we took communion last night. So I'd already been reflecting on just the bravery and the radical love being shown by the adopted families and the foster families at Bethany Moore. And there's a little boy who's new to this family of faith, who's new to his foster family in the last little period. And we don't know if he's going to be with us for years and years and years or a couple of weeks, but the parents don't, they don't care. They're just showing him God's radical love today. And so we were taking communion, and I explained to the family of faith, I explained to the church what it means, and we're breaking bread, and, and the people are coming forward, and here comes this little boy. And as you know, Bethany, we take you know, the bread and we dip it in the juice, and we do that, of course, to remember that God's radical love. You can never really understand it, but we're trying to grasp this deep love. We do that when we take communion. We've been adopted into this family of faith. And this little boy approaches the community a lot. Heather and I were doing communion, and I got to offer him communion, and I just get down on my knees so I can look him in the face. And he grabs me a piece of the bread, and he eats it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we missed a step, but it's okay, because he was hungry. <laughs> he was hungry, right? And I love that simplicity, because it counts. And when we're hungry, the Lord Jesus says, I long to fill you up. When you're lonely, God says, I long through Jesus for you not to feel alone. Will you be open to, to my love? Will you receive that identity, says Jesus? Will you grasp that radical love that surpasses knowledge? And will you live into it, into this new family of faith together? That's his prayer for us this morning. Let me say a prayer now. Lord God, thank you so much for this church this morning. We pray that Jesus, that you would be the love of our lives. We're mindful that a lot of us this morning are in some sort of poverty, spiritual or emotional or physical, or we don't know where we're all at, Lord, but we pray that you would fill us up. You would meet us here in this space now and that we would be recipients, empty vessels to be full of your love for your glory. And all God's people said, amen.